Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. The book of Leviticus. I say we because I feel like I'm part of the we here. Uh, So, uh, and Eric uh, called me and asked me to uh, start the series and introduce it. Uh, And he asked me a couple of really great questions as we enter into a very, actually a a difficult book from our perspective to look at. One is, uh, what is holiness look like, right? Uh, The the book was written thousands of years ago, and it uh, has all kinds of uh, descriptions of things that are foreign to us. And so how do we translate that into holiness for us? We sang, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does that look like? He also asked, where is Jesus in this, right? Where is Jesus in this? And and how does the book of Leviticus help us with that? And so I'm really... Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to, to be introducing that and uh, talking about that with us today. Uh, <clears throat> I think that uh, Leviticus can be very difficult to understand, as, as we've already said. Uh, it's hard to find a way to make it relevant to us, but I think with a little understanding, a little work, uh, I think we can make it very relevant for us. And so the first thing we need to do is kind of understand the basic framework for the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus has different sections, and the, fir- the, the bottom line assumption of, of uh, the whole book is the tabernacle. The bottom line object is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent that they built, and it was portable, it can move, and it's in the place in which God's presence inhabited. It had a, just like the temple, the tabernacle had a, a, a outer court, inner court, it had the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled, where they offered the sacrifices. And the book of Leviticus revolves around the worship uh, in the tabernacle, around the presence of God in their community. That's really the bottom line uh, interpretive key for the book of Leviticus is that there's this tabernacle, in the tabernacle is God's presence, and it's, it's the rules and regulations for proper worship for a people within whom God's presence dwells. And so that's the bottom line assumption. And so it's broken up into several sections, and the first section gives all the different sacrifices. And, and, and it's very detailed. It's like little instructions on what to do with the entrails and the guts and who gets the kidneys and what do you do with the fat. And, it, and it's, it's very, very detailed and, and pretty unusual from our perspective. The next section gives rules and regulations on how to deal with things that are understood to make someone unclean or impure. So there's uh, rules about uh, male discharges, and there's rules about female discharges, and there's rules about skin diseases, and what do you do if you have a a shiny spot on your skin? Uh, There's rules about what to do if your clothing gets mildew or mold on it. And it gives very, very detailed instructions on on how to handle those things and how to be purified from those things. And then it culminates in chapter 16 in Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, where the priest enters and uh, makes atonement for all the things they might have missed. And then lastly, there's a section that goes through all the the 
festivals and observances, the, the, uh, the, the Sabbaths and those kind of things uh, that are yearly uh, and weekly uh, rotations of times that we observe different things. Uh, and the meaning of this can be really lost on us because we're so far removed culturally. But I really think there's a lot of richness in here that we can draw from. Um, and so I think we'll see that, that the bottom line assumption, the bottom line interpretive key for the book of Leviticus is God's presence lives in the community of God's people. God's transformative presence lives in us. He wants to make us objects of transformation, and then makes us agents of transformation in the world as he indwells us. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. So I want to take a minute and look at a difficult passage, just to give us an interpretive key. Then we're going to go to the passage that Ross read. Uh, so for example, we're going to look at chapter 15 for a second, and we're going to see uh, <coughs> the, the rules for when a man has a discharge, okay? And I'm sorry, but this is like in the Bible. This is what we have to deal with, right? So. <laughs> Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any man has an unusual bodily discharge, such a discharge is unclean. Whether it continues flowing from his body or is blocked, it will make him unclean. So in their minds, there was a, a condition of defilement. If, if the person has this condition, then this person is defiled. And, and uh, then he makes the whole community defiled. Look, look, verse 9, we'll skip a few verses. Verse 9 says, And everything the man sits on when riding will be unclean. Whoever touches any of the things that are under him will be unclean. Whoever picks up the things must wash their clothes and bathe with water. They will be unclean till evening. And so in their minds, he was unclean, and then he made everything else he touched unclean. And this basically made the community uh, unsuitable for the dwelling of God, the presence of God in their mind. And so they made provisions for that. Let's skip ahead a few more verses. Verse 13, when a man is cleansed from his discharge, we're going to say discharge a lot today. I'm sorry. This is the way it is. He is to count off seven days for his ceremonial cleansing. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with fresh water, and he'll be clean. On the eighth day, he must take two doves and two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance to the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them, one for the sin offering, the other for the burnt offering. And this way, he'll make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, there are similar laws for female discharges, for skin diseases, molds on clothing, and it raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? And the first question is, how do we understand the Bible's inspired and at the same way try to make stuff like this relevant to our lives, right? And then also it makes it seem like normal bodily functions are sinful. And, you know, you know like I'm an insurance agent. I go to work, you know, what it, you know, how does this relate to my everyday life as an everyday, I'm not actually an insurance agent. I'm, you know, making an analogy of just normal people in, in Arizona, how does this even relate to us? So let's jump in and, and keep two things in mind. The first thing is inspiration. When we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, we don't mean that God gave the writers of Scripture the actual words to say. He didn't dictate it, and they're like listening to the Holy Spirit and, and writing down. No, they, they, inspiration means that they were empowered to communicate God's message. Right? But inspiration does not mean that they gave, God gave them the vocabulary. This means that they had to use their own vocabulary. 
right? They even had to use the vocabulary that was available to them. They had a worldview, they had biases, they had a culture, and, and all of these things were the vocabulary they had available to them to tell uh, God's message. And so, uh, as people of the 21st century in the West, it's hard for us to understand this vocabulary, but let's just take it at face value, that for them, these conditions made someone unclean and unsuitable for God's presence right, unsuitable as a, as a vessel for God's presence. Uh, the second thing we have to keep in mind uh, is that we need to understand the reasons, the purposes behind this law. It's not that discharges and emissions and mold and skin conditions are sinful. It's not what this is saying. Uh, it's it just in some way that, that is lost upon us made the community unsuitable for the presence of God. And it, it there became a need not for forgiveness, but a need for cleansing. And there's a big difference there, right? So the people needed to be cleansed, uh, and <clears throat> and uh, the 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 sacrifices were a means of of a ritual to restore them, uh, so that they can once again be restored to community, uh, at, which is a vessel, uh, an inhabitation for God. And so. Uh, there's, there's a really, you know, if you think about it, there's a beautiful vulnerability right here, right? None of us walk up to each other in the morning and say, good morning, how are you doing? Well, I have a discharge, right? We don't, we don't say that, right? But there's this really amazing vulnerability that this is known, this is known to the people of God. This is known to the community, right? And then there's a ritual to cleanse them of that and receive them back into community with full and utter acceptance. Right? And, and once again, to be a suitable vessel for the inhabitation of God. And isn't that a wonderful, uh, wonderful principle that, that the, the book of Leviticus is about God's graciousness to us, right? That we can be our true selves, we can be vulnerable and be included into a community that is an inhabitation for the presence of God, where transformation happens through his presence, and then we go into the world and become agents of transformation. And that's the message that the Holy Spirit is communicating to us through the book of Leviticus, that we are the people of God, that God's presence inhabits us, and that we are his vehicles of restoration in the world. So with that, we have nine minutes to look at our passage, which I think we can do, because I practiced it, so I know we can. Uh, Ross read to us chapter 26, verses 1 through 17. And in verse 26, it says uh, this, Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. <coughs> and do not, <clears throat> do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. This is a restatement of the first and second commandments, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make an idol for yourself. And we have to understand what an idol is. When you were, if you were a, a person in the ancient Near East and you were a farmer and you needed your crops to grow, you would make a sacrifice to the agriculture god because you wanted that god to do something for you, which is make your crops grow. Same for fertility, same for battle. You had gods to these things and you, you sacrificed to those gods to get God that god to do your will. And so an idol is something that you go to to get your, get your agenda fulfilled, right? And God says, don't do this. 
But what he's not saying is this, and this is the thing we have to understand. God's not saying, don't go to that idol to get what you want, come to me. Sacrifice to me instead to get what you want. That's not what the first and second commandments are saying. God's not saying, don't go to that God, go to this God. We have to understand the, the temple imagery here, the, the imagery of, of uh, the presence of God in a, in a sanctuary. When a temple was built in the ancient Near East, there would be statues of the God to that temple in those, uh, in, so if there was a, a temple of Zeus, you would see statues of Zeus. And then you go into the village and you'd see statues and images of Zeus in the village. And those images represented Zeus to, uh, to the people. Well, in the book of Genesis, the imagery there is that the universe is God's temple. And then he makes humans in what? The image of God. We are the images of God in the temple of God. We are the representations of God in his temple. And so we are put there to, God, God makes us not complete creation, but very good creation. And he gives us dominion over that, which means that we are tasked with what? Using the raw material of creation to bring about more very goodness. Right? And that to bring about transformation. And so when we talk about images, I don't think that the writers of Leviticus are saying, don't make an image because God wants you to, to, God wants you to sacrifice to him instead. Because we can make Yahweh an idol. That's what the golden calf was. It was an idol of Yahweh to get God to do what, what they wanted him to do, which was get out of the wilderness. What this is saying is don't make an image because we are the images. We are the ones who are representing God in God's temple. We are the ones who are tasked with bringing about more very goodness on earth as he indwells us. And so it's not something God wants to do for us. It's something that God wants to do through us as he inhabits us, as he lives in the community of God. And so we see the second verse says, Ozei Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. Uh, Sabbaths are uh, one in seven, so the, the, they were commanded to let the land rest for one year out of seven, to, for us to rest one day out of seven. It's not for God, it's for us, right? It's to, to give us rest so that we can go back out and fulfill our calling as image bearers in the world. And so, uh, and then we have this really, I think, uh, and, and this is where I, I you know, I told, told Eric, you know, here, here I am like setting the tone, but I really think this term, uh, observe my sanctuary, uh, is, um, is the central phrase in the book of Leviticus. We are the sanctuary of God. We are the inhabitation of God. And when we, when we honor the sanctuary, uh, we are uh, making ourselves a suitable community for the presence of God, right? And that's what's happening here. This is what the whole book of Leviticus is about is to honor his sanctuary. Who is the sanctuary? Us. We are his image bearers. And he, uh, he dwells within us and he's creating transformation in us so we can create transformation in the world. And then that's what we see in the rest of this passage. We see the very thing. See, they were... They were, you know, wanted crops, they wanted fertility, they wanted safety from their enemies. These are all good things, right? It's not that the, the things that they were worshiping idols for were bad things or good things. It was just that God wants to do that through us. That's, that's our, our 
calling as he indwells us is to bring about transformation on earth, to bring about the kingdom of God, to bring about Eden or the promised land or whatever analogy we're going to use, that we have this transformation. So in the last few minutes, just let's look at some of this. Uh, verse 3, if you follow my degrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees their fruit. So we see this abundance of harvest. So they work, and the result of their work is, is, is fruit. The, their work has, has a, um, wonderful results where the, the grape harvest comes, and they'll eat food and live in safety. And these are things that maybe we take for granted. We need food. We go to uh, the grocery store. Uh, we're not really worried about our enemies coming and, and stealing our food. But for them, uh, this, was, this was rest. This was, uh, this was Eden. This was the promised land where they would uh, eat their food and rest, right? Uh, look in verse 6. I will grant peace. The word peace is shalom, which means well, holistic well-being, right? I will, you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I'll remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. Uh, they were working and then raising animals and then the beasts would come and kill the animals or they would grow crops and their enemies would come take their crops and they would do all this work and have nothing to show for it. But what God wants to do is, is bring about an abundance where the, the, the work of our hands yields results, right? Look in verse 9. I will look on favor and make you fruitful, increase in numbers. Uh, and you'll, I will keep my covenant with you, and you will be eating last year's harvest, right? When you walk, when you um, have to move out, it'll make, I'm sorry, when you <coughs> will have to move it out and make room for the new. <coughs> and verse 11. I will do what? I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not absorb, abhor you. I will walk among you. I took you out of Egypt. You were slaves. I took you out. And so this is a picture of the kingdom of God, right? Uh, God wants to bring about his kingdom on earth uh, through God's people. When we say uh, in Peoria as it is in heaven, we're not saying we want to take Peoria to heaven. What are we saying? We, we want to bring heaven to Peoria, right? And how do we do that? God's presence and God's people in Peoria, right? We, we are experiencing this transformation as he lives among us, and then we see holistic transformation of people and places, right? The gospel is not just this disembodied message that I go into this, some disembodied heaven when I die. No, heaven is... Uh, in Scripture, salvation is, is largely the transformation of earth, the transformation of people and places on earth. And I've heard very good reports about how Axiom is involved, for example, in, in helping homeless people. And those are the kind of things. These things that, that God is promising them, it's not just like spiritual analogies. This is like actual crops he's talking about, right? This is like actual wine. These are the transformation on earth that he wants to bring. Yes, there are spiritual implications, of course, but uh, we see that in Scripture, uh, much of the transformation that God wants to produce through the gospel is, uh, is physical. Uh, I want to leave us with the book of Ephesians and see this as New Testament believers. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. And look at, look at the New Testament consistency, the New Testament congruency with the Old Testament. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. This is temple language. We are the temple of God. The temple is the dwelling place of God. Jesus is the cornerstone of God's temple, which is us, right? In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Same message. Same message as the book of Leviticus. We are the dwelling place of God. He lives in us. He wants to transform us and through us bring about heaven on earth, transformation of people and places uh, through the gospel. Uh, and I love when we go to communion, that's just that's a perfect representation of that, right? The, the, the body and blood of Christ that broke the power of sin, that made us no longer slaves to sin so that uh, the power of the Spirit can work through us to bring about transformation. So let's pray, and then we'll continue. Thank you, Jesus, for indwelling us, for transforming us, for uh, making us your people, making us citizens of your kingdom. We thank you that uh, you left creation uh, partially undone so we can be tasked with completing that and, and, and working with you to bring about uh, your kingdom on earth. We pray that you would empower us and provide for us and make us holy and make us suitable for your presence as we do so. We pray in Jesus' name.